Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's IT Showcase webinar, Redesign for the Cloud, Building a Cloud-First Network at Microsoft. My name is David Leff. I am a network architect in Microsoft IT. I've been with the company for about 18 years, and I'm primarily responsible for cloud and edge networking at Microsoft. This is my colleague, Steve Miner. Steve, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, as David mentioned, my name is Steve Miner. I'm a principal program manager, been here for eight years. I have 28 years of industry experience in engineering for IT in general at multiple firms. Started out as a technical engineer, dev lead, but in the last 10 years I've moved more towards architecture and program management. Thank you. All right. We have a pretty packed agenda. We're going to be covering a lot of content, so we're going to jump right in. If you have any questions during the webinar, please type them into the question and answer window, and we'll answer them during the live question and answer at the end of the presentation. First agenda slide here, uh, we're going to talk to you about an overview of some of the, the uh, most, I won't want to say most important uh, efforts, but large efforts that are really designed to cope with the fact that the company is embodying the strategy of mobile first, cloud first. So the complements to that on my side are internet and wireless first strategies that we have. We'll talk a bit about the Microsoft IT networking environment today, the initiatives that are going to change it and how it's going to evolve into the future. We'll talk about how cloud access is changing, software design perimeter, specifically some of the things that we're doing in Azure, and then we'll have some key takeaways. And there's more. So there is an opportunity to change or adapt and, and allow some of our legacy applications to go to the cloud without having to make too many changes, but then also make sure that we keep a reasonable amount of service level and security posture accelerating our clients into the cloud and our applications in the cloud, some of the options that we have around accelerating that cloud adoption, and some practices that we've developed around infrastructure and platform as a service computing architecture. The first thing that we're going to cover is our internet and wireless first uh, initiatives. They're really uh, a recognition of the fact that changes are, have already happened in our environment. People have already gone to mobile devices. They've, they're going to services that are on the public internet. They are working from anywhere at any time from, from any device. We definitely do want to make sure that we support uh, this new working style of being always connected, that we do maintain a good security posture, and that we make the right investments. And we characterize that as eliminating technology debt. Right? Technology right now that may still serve a purpose, but we don't want to overinvest in it in uh, the manner we know it's going to become obsolete. So what we're actually doing is, you know, we're looking at the business and engineering scenarios that are uh, happening uh, in our environment, but they're really not uh, optimized for today's corporate network. And we're going to be uh, modifying what's left of the corporate network as we continue to move our services to the public internet so that it's really optimized for those uh, scenarios that are going to stay back on our private network. Mm. The user experience and the clients, they're moving to the internet side and they're going wireless. Um, another thing that we've uh, become aware of is the traffic patterns have changed in a very uh, dramatic way. So where we used to see a lot of east-west traffic between user buildings and campuses and data centers, now that traffic is becoming what we characterize as north-south. So it's actually leaving our network going to a public cloud destination. So we've, we've profiled what's happening in our branch offices, and we've actually seen that 70% of the traffic is destined for things like Office 365 and Dynamics Online. We're also seeing in these branch offices that the predominance of devices that people are using are wireless. So less than 30% of our wired ports are being used across the enterprise, and in some of these branch offices, less than 10%. 
And what we're doing to adapt to this is we're really moving to a model where wireless internet is the default connectivity for our users and our clients. So they start out on a wireless network, we drop them off on the internet, that gives them the shortest path to their services. It also allows us to, again, tailor what's left of the internet to specialize in business and engineering functions that really need to stay back on our private network. We do know that we have a very diverse networking environment. Uh, probably one of the diverse, most diverse ones that I'm familiar with uh, in terms of a, uh, an enterprise that is a high-tech company. So if you look at uh, this diagram here on the left-hand side, you're going to see the uh, multiple uh, different types of clients that we have on our network. We have everything from user clients that are remote, um, user clients that are also on-premises. We have a very uh, robust and continuously growing population that are considered to be Internet of Things, connected devices that don't actually have a person behind them, but some type of uh, service and technology. And then we also have dedicated systems. So we still, you know, we're an engineering company that develops software and services, so we have a lot of labs. We have a lot of things like HoloLens and things like that that are showing up on our network on a daily basis. To be able to get them to the resources they need on the right-hand side, whether they're in the public cloud or on the Internet, in a private environment or on a, an intranet that is oriented toward a business function or a particular group, we have to be able to provide them uh, the networking services they need. So they need access services, they need core or transport services, and they also need, especially when we're moving between environments and we need to have security policy and security monitoring, there's going to be a point there where we can inspect the traffic. We can prevent um, compromises or we can prevent them from doing things they shouldn't be doing from a security perspective. There's also the opportunity to optimize, and this is where things like software-defined WAN and technologies like that may come into play at some point, or acceleration caching. So really, you know, we don't have one single networking environment. We have many that we're trying to stitch together again. The whole point of this is to allow our people to be productive, so we want to give them the most efficient access to the resources they need, while still giving them good quality of service and a good, good security posture. The major initiatives that we're working against in the networking space right now are around automation. So being able to use software-defined networking to its fullest extent, being able to automate the routine tasks and be able to self-service self enable a lot of our networking services. We're transforming our data center at the same time. So we're standardizing our labs and our production uh, data centers, whether they're on-prem or off-prem in the cloud. And then trying to make, again, that transition from on-prem to off-prem, public to private, very seamless, and have common uh, policy definitions. We are moving, again, all our, uh, our applications and our clients to an internet-first posture. So in doing that, you know, we still have an on-premises environment where our clients live, even if those applications are off-premises in the cloud. So we have to optimize that egress path to the cloud, and it, gives, it does give us an opportunity to use different providers for network access and transport. So instead of dealing with traditional network service providers or telcos, we are looking at uh, leveraging internet service providers. We're even looking at, at leveraging Azure uh, for site-to-site -site transport or that transport between data centers. We're also moving very rapidly toward IPv6. So we've exhausted our IPv4 space uh, many times over. We're enabling the entirety of our enterprise network for IPv6 at first in the dual stack uh, manner. But uh, in the future, we will move some of our internet networks uh, to be IPv6 only. We're also very conscious of security. So we want to make sure that we know what's accessing our network. So we may still let it on, but we have the ability to actually fingerprint and identify what type of device it is. 
potentially who's using it and what they're actually doing. Uh, in terms of constructing policy, we're moving away from policy that's defined by things like IP addresses and protocols and ports to things that are really identity-based, whether that identity is a user or an application um, or a device. And the last thing on this slide is, again, our user base are selecting devices now that their native connectivity is wireless. So we're upgrading our wireless infrastructure globally, say 802.11ac or beyond, and we're also optimizing what's left of the remaining uh, wired infrastructure around it. So as we evolve into the future, if you look at our current state, it's not bad. It does the job. Um, but as we continue to move down this wireless uh, internet path as our applications move to the cloud, uh, we do need to make some changes. So at our current state, we have multiple modes of access. So you may get a different experience whether you're wired or wireless, whether you're remote or local. Um, the future state is you're going to get the same level of access regardless of, of uh, where you're coming from. As long as we, we determine that that device, and that person is trustworthy and they have the right, uh, right permissions to that resource they're trying to reach, they're going to get the, the, the right level of access regardless of, of their connectivity method or media that's used. We do have a dependency now in our current state on being on the private intranet and being wired for a lot of our uh, device management. We know that we need to move away from that. We need to enable those devices to be managed uh, from whatever connectivity method and whatever network that they originate from. So we characterize that as device management through assuming wireless inter internet, excuse me. We also have a variable user experience. So again, whether you're um, on-prem, off-prem, you're going to have a different experience getting to public cloud services. Um, and it may not always be the most efficient uh, network path to get to things like Microsoft Azure or some of our public cloud services. So we're looking at the patterns that exist, whether you're in a Microsoft building or whether you're at home or in a hotel, whether you're remote accessed in, or whether you're just simply using a native internet connection. And we're allowing those clients to, to use what we believe to be the most efficient uh, path to those resources while again, still maintaining a good security posture. Um, and then, you know, last one there is, I spoke before that we've, re we've exhausted our IPv4 space many times over. So we are reusing address space uh, internally in Microsoft and we're having to do things like uh, NAT between some of our environment. When we get to uh, IPv6 native, we start to reclaim some of the IPv4 space, we'll start to take that down. But IPv4 in our environment won't disappear overnight. So it will still be used, there will still be things that use it. Um, but the predominance of uh, internal Microsoft networking in the future will be on IPv6 as the default. Our current cloud and internet access really was designed uh, many years ago, 10 or more years, back in, the, back in the days when I won't say that the web was brand new, but you know, most of the productivity that we did in our applications were on our private intranet. They were in a data center that we owned in total. And uh, going out to the internet was needed for, for business use cases, but it wasn't as critical to, uh, to the business as it is today. Um, so we have a traditional you know, hub and spoke uh, network topology. Out of 800 or so sites that we have globally, uh, they correspond to roughly 11 internet egress points that are regionalized. Um, but there are situations where we do bring branch offices several hundred miles, even several thousand uh, miles or kilometers to an internet egress point. And we know that that's not um, as efficient as it could be. So traffic that is originating from PortNet today is going to find a, a local, an edge, hopefully local, um, through a default route, 
and then be routed out to the internet through uh, what we characterize as a security stamp. So it has the ability to do uh, firewalling, intrusion detection, data loss prevention, malware analysis, all those, all those great network security functions that keep our client base safe and keep us from leaking intellectual property. Um, but again, because those things are on our on-premises edge, our clients don't get the benefit of those when they roam off network. So they're not 100% effective in all cases. Where we're really going in the future is something where uh, those network security services are present uh, regardless and accessible and useful regardless of whether you're on-prem or off-prem. And a situation where we're going to move that internet edge uh, closer to the user, even if those users are in a uh, far-flung far branch office. So we're going to either move to a local edge or we're going to move to, a, to an, basically an internet or a public cloud breakout that is within their country or, or much, much closer uh, to their local region. Um, for the things that remain back on the private network, we're also doing the same thing with remote access services or, or VPN, virtual private network. So we're regionalizing both the internet uh, egress point and the ingress point if you're off, off network. Four things that do need to remain on the private network, especially when we move a lot of these branch offices to an internet default posture, we'll be able to support dedicated tunnels for things like facilities level infrastructure. So think about some of the security systems that are in buildings that are actually networked. So badge readers, door locks, cameras, those things can stay back on the internet and we can still make their connectivity private through things like secure uh, VPNs, secure IPsec tunnels. But this will be a much more flexible um, architecture that will allow us to add remove sites, scale them if we need to with um, a more optimized physical investment, but then again, it's more flexible because we're consuming a lot of these services from, from the cloud. Another thing that we're working on right now is, is a software-defined perimeter design in Azure. So we went into Azure in a big way more than five years ago, prior to Azure having a lot of the uh, security functionality that came with Azure Resource Manager and that's come into Azure networking within the past uh, year or two. Things like um, network security groups, um, user-defined routes that have made things like network virtual appliances viable in our environment. A lot of the rule-based access control and policy that you can apply through Azure Resource Manager didn't exist when we first started. So the security stamp that we put in front of Azure private networking with ExpressRoute was very oriented to uh, a physical design. So we have a goal in our next design to go to one that is uh, physical device free. So the Azure software-defined perimeter design that maps to a lot of the guidance that has come out of the Azure networking team that matches up to what the uh, consultants on the Microsoft side and our partners are advocating really is uh, using a model that takes full advantage of some of those new Azure networking capabilities and a lot of partner offerings in the ecosystem around uh, virtual appliances and attached services. So we're going to be using uh, virtual firewalls uh, running in Azure IaaS VMs. We're going to be using attached services to do things like malware analysis and uh, intrusion detection. And again, moving to a design that is much more agile than what we have today and requires um, little or no physical investment to get into a new region or to scale up and down. This is going to increase our efficiency, reduce our cost, and uh, give us a better return going into Azure. And some of the takeaways from this section, again, is we're moving the client connectivity to wireless. So our user base has already voted uh, with their feet in their pocketbook 
They're using their phones to be productive, tablets, um, laptops, portable machines. We're even moving some more fixed desktops to be, uh, to be wireless in a lot of our buildings. Moving away from physical-based networking, physical devices to software-based uh, software networking. We're increasing our utilization of IPv6 and even going to IPv6-only networks in some cases. And we're trying to really deliver the enterprise experience across Microsoft via wireless networking on the internet. Some of the cautions that we found is, you know, we're old, long-time IT guys. Um, so we always tend to look for the thing that's familiar, right? The thing that looks like, you know, we, that we're confident is going to, going to work. Um, and we like to try to make uh, things equivalent to what we already have today, but that doesn't always work in the cloud. Mm -hmm. So we have it, you know, we, it, choosing commonality or parity may not be the best solution for you. It may not actually be what you need going into forward. So keep an open mind. The other thing, too, is don't try to seek perfection in your new solution. So everybody thinks that they want to go for, you know, the biggest, the best. Um, you know, they, we've also seen some tendency even that people think they can build something that is uh, better than what the uh, providers build. Um, that may not be the right thing to do. So look at it from the lens of is it good enough for what I'm trying to do with it? And does it make sense from a both a combination of business and technology perspective? And if it meets that bar, um, go for it. Go for that rather than uh, continuing to make a custom and potentially uh, expensive investment. And now, Steve, um, you've gotten a big good dose of uh, things from kind of a network and infrastructure perspective, but there's a lot to this also that has to do with moving applications efficiently to the cloud yep. and being able to leverage environments where we have a combination of modern applications and legacy applications in a way, again, that gives us the quality of service and security posture that we actually need. Yep. So we're talking about a major paradigm change here, right? So moving from decades of being on-premise to a new cloud paradigm involves a lot of thinking. There's the network elements you're bringing up. There's security. Clearly, it's changing the entire paradigm of security. And what we've been working here at Microsoft on is how do we use Azure out-of-the-box services, both premium and standard services, to enable a key concept here. And I want to uh, level set this real quick. So you can always acquire a new SaaS solution. You could build new solutions on PaaS itself. But the single biggest encumbrance you're going to find out in most enterprises is not the building or the acquiring of the new tool, but it's the integration or accessibility to get to the existing tools and applications in your ecosystem. Those applications are probably on your domain. They're either going to be on-premise. You may have lifted and shifted them to IaaS, but in either case, they're in your domain. And getting access to those applications can be a major encumbrance to your actual move to the cloud itself. Um, and that's because of network security. And so what we want to talk to you about here is how we can leverage um, some Azure technologies to help in that connectivity. And really, it's a huge opportunity. And I want, to, I want you to think about it as a way to accelerate getting cloud first by thinking through this a little bit. So our goal is to help you accelerate PaaS implementation by providing enterprise services that allow for a high confidentiality, we're talking the highest level of personal information, level of security, get that data accessible on the cloud for other cloud applications to be built and use those. So the, the key here is how do we reduce the barrier of entry for net new applications in Azure knowing that they have to get access to your existing legacy portfolio? So with that in mind, what we wanted to outline to you is a kind of a paradigm shift and it kind of it's a conversation around thinking, are you thinking outside in or inside out? 
The traditional app is an inside out thinking, and that is I've been on premise in the past. I've shifted to IaaS today, and sometime, maybe FY18, FY19, sometime in the next few years, I plan to be native Azure myself. That's an inside out view where you're trying to shift your whole self to the cloud. And that could be a large re-architecture, it could be a lot of work. What we want to introduce is the fact that while you're in that journey from IaaS to PaaS, you're actually an encumbrance to all the rest of the organization that wants to access your service from PaaS. So what you'd like to do is consider the fact that you could use what we're calling enterprise hybrid connectivity. By the way, not to be confused with a hybrid connector. Um, just there's so many words we can use and <laughs> brands are complicated here. But how do we get the connectivity in place? And what we would like to show is how to get your application that's currently in a domain that's secured and not accessible by the internet, how to get endpoints on PaaS for easy consumption by net new PaaS solutions. By doing that, you're actually accelerating the ability for your overall organization to go cloud first by enabling others in your organization instead of being the encumbrance. So with that in mind, let's talk about a couple of options that we have here. So we use the acronym EHC for Enterprise Hybrid Connectivity. And there's two architectural approaches that we use ourselves inside Microsoft for this. One is what we call the IaaS compute. And that is where you already have mature web services that are on IaaS, that are already industrial, they're, they're redundant, they're not redundant, they're, they're durable, they have all the illities that you want, and you just want to rapidly expose endpoints for paths. And in that example, what we have here is we use Azure API Manager in a VNet to work through another VNet that has a gateway holding a, a express route. Admittedly, these are uh, premium services, but allows for a high level of security. That express route then will drill back into your domains. And I'll talk about that a little bit more, but uh, we currently drill into a, a DMZ, a demilitarized zone, at which point we get an exception into the domain we want to call to the exact IP and port. By doing that, we actually are reusing the IaaS service that you've built out, but you're, you're standing up a new APIM HTTP REST, HTTPS REST service on uh, Azure natively. And so on the left side over there, why would you pick that? Well, you already have durable and enterprise class services you want to just rapidly expose. If by doing that, you are admittedly using your IaaS compute for the work, but it is being exposed on PaaS as if it were there. Performance has been very good. It's, it's, uh, we're very pleased with how that's working. Another option is our PaaS compute. And this is an example you might exercise where you literally want to deprecate that IaaS web service or on-premise web service in favor of doing that compute in PaaS. And in this example, we again use API Manager. It can be the premium or standard SKU. And it can, it's going to call into a VNet that has an ACE, an ASE, an application service environment that actually now that's where you build your web APIs in the form of API apps. And those API apps are gonna then call through that same express route and access the direct API or SQL database or other technology directly from the ACE. Now that's a pass compute because your new development for actually doing the accessing of the, the APIs is gonna be built in pass. You primarily pick that because you wanna deprecate your IaaS footprint and this is actually getting you closer to your pass story. Notice with both of these though, that the actual primary execution is still gonna be on your, your uh, services on your domain. So this allows for, to the picture we showed earlier, you can accelerate your endpoints on paths for consumption 
and then follow up with your own remainder of your migration to paths at any kind of cadence or schedule you would like. The key is to accelerate the experience for other applications that need to consume your data or service. Now, the next two slides I want to do a high-level overview on is just a little bit more technical information for those of you that are inclined. And what we're showing here is the IaaS compute architecture where we use Traffic Manager, an Azure service that allows you to do uh, basically round-robining or basically redundancy across two different data centers in Azure. We use API Manager, as I called out. We have a subnet. We have an uh, express route the firewall, and you can see on the screen here, we actually also call out how we do our basic, our basic telemetry and using technologies like OMS and so forth. And this also shows you where we are indeed using a demilitarized zone for the actual drill from paths into our domain. And then from there, we get an exception into the, into the actual business domain that we're drilling into. This allows for it to be highly secure. And because you're using premium services such as Express route or the application service environment, we can, you can really control the internet accessibility to those components because they're the premium nature of them. Um, that's for the IaaS compute. The next shot here is what would it look like for the PaaS compute? So in this case, instead of calling into the web service on IaaS, we're actually going to create API apps inside of an application service environment in the VNet on PaaS. So it's very similar. It's just, just where do you do your where do you do your uh, web service compute? Is it in IaaS or is it in PaaS? They're both viable and it really is going to be dictated about what's the most viable for you and your roadmap. The key for both of these is to just recognize the paradigm that this isn't actually moving your whole app onto PaaS, but it is, it's accelerating your, your uh, endpoints on PaaS for consumption by other apps. You should still have a, a strategy or a roadmap that would eventually take your application to PaaS if it makes sense, you got to take into account the lifespan of the app, when it might sunset, what are new technologies coming out. But it's a way to accelerate the overall organization. So with that, I kind of, Dave, I think I went over the, I realized you went over a lot of network technologies and how we have to shift to the wireless view. But another encumbrance as far as network is, how do you take your apps on your domains network and get them into PaaS or internet accessibility? And this was what we thought was a good segue to talk about that. These two strategies, I think, Dave, could help a lot of organizations towards their own cloud-first strategy. Yeah, I would agree. Is it fair to characterize what you built in uh, the EHC as a way to take advantage of centralized networking security functions and not have to duplicate it across thousands of applications we've had, do it a few times with those big data anchors and right. expose them in a very consistent way so, again, yes. that we get the right service level and security by taking advantage of things like ExpressRoute right. and uh, the permissioning that we're all used to in the enterprise is very rooted in, uh, you know, domain identities, domain, right. domain credentials. Yeah, and I think it's really key to point out two things I might not have emphasized enough. What you're seeing here is really Azure out of the box. We've got it working with zero code. Yeah, there's configuration. It's Azure. You have to configure it. But if you have the IaaS service, you don't really literally have to do a stitch of code to make this work. It's just pulling together the various um, Azure services. Again, if you want to do PaaS compute, then that probably entails some level of development. That's on your roadmap, probably. Um, I think a key to, that you point out there is this. Depending on your organization, this may be a centralized service that multiple teams share, or it may be broken out by line of business or by whatever enterprise you want to do it. That economy of scale is something that you have to consider. 
this architecture is very adaptable for having economies of scale because things like API Manager and ACE, you're talking about a lot of scale ability in those, those services that could actually literally create an opportunity for centralization. But that's something your organization has to consider in terms of co-hosting into those environments. Uh, Role-based security options are making that more viable every day. Yes, but I wouldn't characterize centralization as a single instance of this. So there's Not more, necessarily. Think, multiple instances of this, as long as you know we can actually centrally manage things like policy and security posture, yep. or we distribute out a service like this to, to multiple business units. Yeah, that's great. And we're actually looking at um, coming up with automated means for actually assessing the uh, infrastructural configuration to confirm you're compliant with the strategy. Um, the key is we actually spent many, many months working with our security team here in Microsoft to do penetration testing and to do different uh, security reviews to confirm that this was a very strong and durable approach all the way up to highly confidential data. And that's, what, that's what's allowing us to be successful here at Microsoft. Thank you, Steve. There are a lot of resources that are published out on uh, the IT Showcase website and, uh, and other locations that you'll see here that uh, give you a good idea of some of the other things that we've do, been doing around network topology for modern applications, how we use ExpressRoute in the enterprise. There is a ExpressRoute homepage if you'd like to actually dig in and understand more about the technology that the Azure folks host. And, uh, and some documentations on how to make security a priority when you're actually moving applications and data in the cloud. So things do change. A lot of your principles will still hold true, but how you actually execute and satisfy those principles are different as you move into the public cloud. And that brings us to the end of the presentation, and we're going to move into question and answer now. Please remember to type your questions into the question and answer window, and we'll read them out loud before we answer them. Thank you. Thanks. Before we move into the live question and answer session, I want to take a minute to introduce Varash, who is joining us today to answer any technical questions you may have. Thank you, David. Uh, so, uh, hi everyone, I'm Viraj. I'm an architect in the Enterprise Platform Services team in Microsoft. Uh, I'm currently working on designing the EHC reference patterns, uh, some of which Steve has talked about. Uh, so we currently offer EHC as a platform uh, for teams within Microsoft. So I'm here to answer any specific questions you have with regard to the EHC patterns and, and the platform itself. Thank you. Thank you for that, Viraj. Now let's go ahead and jump right into the questions. The first one is from Eric. Uh, his question was, how do you distinguish between managed and unmanaged clients? Um, I'll take that one. Um, managed clients to us really mean that we exert some sort of administrative control over the client. So the client, it may be a Windows PC that is joined to the Windows Server Active Directory and managed by System Center. Um, now, also, we, we consider clients that are joined to Azure Active Directory and managed by Intune to be managed as well. Unmanaged clients would be uh, the opposite of that. Something that is on our network that is leveraging our resources that we don't exert any administrative control over. And that is a common scenario in our environment now that we are very heterogeneous. We have Windows, we have iOS, we have Linux, we have everything under the sun in our environment. Now we have um, you know, non-traditional clients that touch our network as well. Internet of Things types of devices. So making that distinction between you know, something that, again, we have some administrative control over versus something that we don't. Uh, the next question is about uh, EHC platform itself. So for EHC, uh, what are the primary benefits of platform as a service compute option over infrastructure as a service? 
So one of the benefits of, oh, excuse me. So basically platform as a service allows you to get off of any of your traditional on-domain on or even IaaS hardware. So you basically get off of the problem of having to maintain and scale the physical assets. You also have to recognize that it's also part, possibly part of a larger strategy you have around cloud first, for example. So a lot of teams have migrated from on-premise to IaaS, and then eventually you want to get in the past to get those benefits of hiding that infrastructure element from your solution. That's what that's for. That's that's part of benefit. Anything you want to add, Rosh? Uh, I think that's okay. uh, The next one looks like another one for me, uh, also from Eric. For an attribute-based security policy, what kind of attributes are you looking for and what tools are you using to query for those attributes? So an attribute-based security policy rather than one that is just simply uh, based upon source and destination, you know, where are you coming from and where are you going to, would be things like um, user identity. Who are you? Um, your device identity. What type of device or, or is there an identity of that device that we recognize? Um, it could also be application-based. So can we profile and understand what application you're using? Does it look like, um, does the traffic, network traffic that we're seeing look legitimate for that type of application? And based upon those more granular things, we can actually make a good decision on, you know, what access network do we land you on? So whether you're wired, wireless, or remote. We can also put you on a particular um, logical network segment and isolate you away from, from other parts of the network if we need to. We can also apply um, policy at our edges. So when you exit our network, we can give you a different policy depending upon whether you're managed, unmanaged, uh, what type of device you're using, and uh, also what destination you're going to or what application you're using. And this gives us a, a way to provide what I characterize as kind of differentiated security policy that is very uh, scenario specific. Where in the past, you know, we made these very broad uh, categories and sometimes only one category that we found at times opened us up to too much risk and at other times it constrained what the business can do. So we have a lot of uh, tools now to do uh, things like uh, 802.1x and on wired wireless. We have conditional access on, on remote. We use next generation firewalls to, to provide um, controls when you're going from network zone to network zone or environment to environment, and then also egressing, egressing our network. Uh, another question for EHC. So what if your backend application never itself migrates to platform as a service? Are there implications in, in that constraint? That's a really good question. Um, basically what it boils down to, you're trying to provide connectivity for that application on the cloud or internet. So you could actually look at, in a case where an application may never have a roadmap to get onto native paths, then this basically is a permanent uh, capability or a connecting layer for that application. Now at some point it will be sunsetted in favor of something new, I'm sure that will be cloud, but I think it is an expected pattern that you could have applications that will never themselves be natively on Azure. And that makes the EHC thing not just a temporary stopgap, but the permanent solution for that app. One more for EHC here. So are you actually stuck between uh, choosing PaaS or IaaS? Is it, is it one or the other? Yeah, that's a good question too. So yeah, while we illustrated two major patterns, you can do an IaaS compute or a PaaS compute based upon your needs. Um, the, fact of, the fact of the matter is, is that you can actually choose that endpoint by endpoint. So you could implement both and it could be ba very based upon the each service's need. 
Now, I will make one caveat in you would need to make sure you use the premium APIM SKU to be able to do both. Um, so for the PaaS pattern, you could use the, the standard APIM SKU, but you couldn't for the um, IaaS compute. So that's the one thing you have to take into account. So if you implemented premium APIM SKU in a VNet that connects through the service the express route, you can go either way. It's just whether or not you go through the ACE or directly to the API on the IaaS layer. Good. Uh, one more that looks like it's uh, more oriented toward uh, core networking security. What sorts of services and workloads are going to remain private non-premises at Microsoft, and does this conflict with uh, the things that we talk about in terms of cloud-first, mobile-first, um, and some of our goals to move a lot of our services to the Internet? There are always going to be things that have to remain on-premises or private to be able to support the enterprise intranet, by definition. We have to be able to address our clients. We have to be able to locate things. Um, and there are things in the Microsoft Enterprise that are going to remain private because we do build the products and services that support, you know, the public cloud services that we that we offer. Um, but this is the vast minority of what we run, particularly in the enterprise. So we're talking, you know, single digits compared, you know, small percentages of things that used to be completely private in the past uh, will be remaining on premises. And there's a lot of opportunity in moving, you know, the vast majority to cloud and and being able to present that on the internet to be able to get to this future state where, you know, you can, you know, within reason connect to anything from every, anywhere and be productive anywhere, anytime from anything. So core infrastructure will be there. The things that really by definition, again, need to be private or that, you know, have no business need to be presented on the internet side and there's not necessarily any value in putting in public cloud, those are the only things that will, that will stay behind. Um, and that doesn't bother me very much. So it's so vanishingly small when you look at the size of the Microsoft Enterprise that the opportunity of moving things to public cloud is, is huge. Another question for EHC. So what advantages does EHC have over other hybrid connectivity options? Uh, that's a good question. It's an evolving story, by the way. Now, what we've experienced here inside Microsoft using Azure, obviously we're Azure-based, um, is that there are a variety of technologies that can meet this need, but a lot of those are based upon having to install a local agent on your domain side or having to do yet another level of uh, WCF service wrapping or web service wrapping around it. Those things are eliminated by basically by using um, PaaS-based solutions and express route that will drill right into what we go through, again, the DMZ with an exception to the domain, um, not needing that. We're literally drilling in from the outside as opposed to a lot of them are agent-based where you have an agent on the domain that opens the pipe from the inside out. Avrash, you want to add to that? Yeah, so so the other aspect of it is basically you are connecting to your backend service directly instead of going through the push-pull model that other hybrid connectivity options provide. So this will give you a lot of performance improvement as well as security improvement So be, uh, because you are directly connecting to the on-premise endpoint. So that's another uh, advantage that EHC provides compared to other hybrid connectors. Yeah, and in case you're not familiar, I think it's a very good point, Barash, thanks. That the express route is a dedicated network line. It's like the old days where you had a T1 or a T3 line. It's it's owned by you. So effectively, when you use the EHC architecture as we're showing here, and you implement something in ACE, the application service environment, that's dedicated hardware going through a dedicated network cable to your domain. 
you could almost look at that as you're just basically extending your local hardware footprint. It's not really internet exposed. Yep, that's right. Is it also fair to say that um, if you want that direct connectivity, you don't want the push-pull model, the message bus model, that using something like EHC allows you to get economies of scale and centralization where um, you could use Express Route for every single application that you wanted to or a private connection, but you, you would have to build that independently for every single application. Yeah, that, that's right. And then that gives obviously the manageability aspect as well. It eases that point where the number of faculties we are opening to the corporate can be centrally managed and can be audited at, at a common location as well. Yeah. It kind of ties into the earlier question about, about managed. Um, the whole EHC architecture is very managed and we have the necessary abilities for our own security team to do auditing and looking for penetration, you know, penetration alerts, all that kind of stuff. It's built into it. Very secure. Good. Uh, looks like one for me here. Um, is your future state a completely perimeterless network? And if so, where does all that security monitoring and policy go? Uh, I'll answer the first one uh, first. Is it completely perimeterless? No. Does a lot of the perimeter that we've created and recognized uh, in the past in the legacy environment uh, remain? The answer to that is no. So a lot of the traditional network parameters are uh, already gone or are going away. Um, and we're looking at different ways to create a perimeter or different places to be able to apply these policies. So where we used to have very um, defined control over topology and network paths and a place where I could actually point you know, to and say, this is a choke point that I can establish a policy on or, or do security monitoring on. That may not exist when we move things into the cloud. We have connectivity that's happening off of our network. We have connectivity that's happening between um, parts of applications that is completely internal and, and opaque to us. We don't see it at all. Um, so there is still a place for network-based controls. That network-based control may be on part of the network proper, it may be on an edge, it may be, you know, a, an attribute or provided by the instance itself, um, where it, the instance of the application has, you know, an access control list that, that defines what it will and will not listen to. Um, there's also other ways to provide access control that are beyond just network controls, right? Strong identity, strong auth, um, things like that that we're looking at, you know, across the different uh, types of solutions we have out there. So um, that security monitoring, again, and, and policy may go into the application itself. It may become identity-based rather than network-based. It may be on the instance, you know, on the edge, on the virtual network, even if you're in Azure now with network security groups. We also have, you know, an emerging network virtual appliance and network function virtualization ecosystem in Azure that we're looking at now. So it used to be, you know, in the past that we actually had to haul traffic out of the cloud to get control and get monitoring on it, that's changing as well. So again, you can you can preserve some of the traditional perimeter uh, networking types of controls, but they may not apply in every in every single situation. Um, and you know you have to be willing to to look at uh, potentially other alternatives and peel back your requirements to you know what are you what are you what are your uh, threats and risks. And what are the capabilities you need to mitigate those and potentially look at new and novel ways of, of doing that. One more for uh, EHC here. So what about outbound needs from uh, private domain to Azure to the internet? So do you manage that outbound connectivity as well? Good question. Um, to be honest, 
if your domain already has internet connectivity where you can, there is no need to use EHC in those for the majority of the cases. Um, it's a different question if your domain does not, then I'm sure you have to worry about how, how do you do that today, it's overall. I will state that ExpressRoute can be used in conjunction with an application service environment, ILB, to do um, tunneling out, but you'd have to look into what special cases that would work for you, why that would be the case. Yeah, so there, there are some uh, some tenants that were requesting to move their IaaS compute onto PaaS, but just keep it uh, internally load balanced, like as if it's connected to core. So basically they wanted to run core uh, services on PaaS. So for those sort of tenants, this is something that would be definitely useful. So where you maintain it behind an internal load balancer and then move all your compute to PaaS. And actually that's really exciting, Varash. Thanks for bringing it up because what that's pointed out is they're actually allowing you to natively expand out an application that's not on Azure PaaS with PaaS by doing that. So by, by using an express route through an ASE uh, ILB, which is an internal load balancer, you basically, because the ACE again is dedicated hardware and you're going through a dedicated network wire back to your domain, you're effectively just expanding your on-premises or IaaS solution into PaaS, but it has otherwise no accessibility to the internet. So I want to add just one more thing. Uh, so uh, so apart from these tenants, the product teams are benefiting a lot from these uh, requirements. So basically it's not just the app service environment now, we are working with the service fabric team as well to enable this sort of uh, internal load balancing uh, 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 feature within the VNet so that they can set up these clusters inside the VNet as well. Very cool. Yep. And you did, you did mention that ASE uh, is application service environment. So I know we use the acronyms before, uh, but that's a web app, logic app, mobile application bundled up into uh, basically a service that you deploy as a unit. That's correct. Yep. And the ACE is a premium service, so it's it's a way to get dedicated for, per, for both performance and security wise. So. Right, right. Yep. Um, another one for EHC. Are there actually primary benefits of going down the platform as a service route over infrastructure as a service? I think we actually addressed that one earlier. Uh, so we had, did we already address that one? I, I think we had one that said, are you stuck between choosing one or the other? And we talked about that too, yes. that you can go API endpoint by endpoint. Yeah, I think I this think one's- we've, we've tapped them out. Okay, okay. Uh, one more on, uh, looks like core network and security. Um, are there manageability and security differences as you move clients and their resources to the internet? Uh, the answer to that is yes. And those resources could be applications, they could be data, they could be services. Um, we have traditionally built a lot of our enterprise manageability and security capabilities around this notion that you, we were on a local area network that, and you know, because we were on a local area network behind an edge and it was all private, that we can assume that we were administrators of all these things. So we're having to change, you know, how we how we manage these systems and how we apply security policy again as these things move over to the public side. And they're not on networks that we control. Um, they may not rely on um, connectivity back to our corporate network. So we can't force them back in just to get this, these capabilities. So we're trying to shift away from things that are locked on our private network dependent upon being on premises to things that work when you're on, you know, when you're on the public internet and are not dependent upon any type of uh, physical location. So 
you know, we if we need to manage and secure your system, if you're at home or in a hotel or on a customer site, um, we're we're using tools now that enable us to do that. Where in the past, you know, we we couldn't do that once you were off-prem, unless you actually remote accessed in, we couldn't see your system. So now moving to things like Azure Active Directory and Microsoft Intune, which are available, you know, from the internet side and which are kind of a, you know, client-based subscription model, or if you attach to, you know, your your tenancy in those services, you become managed. Um, it's, it's different than it has it, that it has been in the past. I wouldn't say that they're absolutely equal. They are significantly different in some cases, but you know we are we are migrating in that direction. So one of the base assumptions that we're making, we're challenging ourselves with, is, is assume all the clients are mobile. So you know start from a wireless internet connection, assume everything is mobile, and and what doesn't work. And the things that don't work that we still need to preserve, we need to go out and find a new solution for. I believe that's all the questions that we have. So this is going to wrap up our live question and answer session. If you haven't already done so, please take a minute and answer the poll question that you see in the Skype window. We'd like to thank the audience for joining us today. And I'd like to remind you also that IT Showcase has live webinars scheduled every month on a variety of topics. We hope you'll join us again and bring your colleagues and friends. You can find our upcoming webinar schedule as well as the on-demand webinars and other content at microsoft.com forward slash IT Showcase. Thank you.